I'm sure one of the best gatherings in the world is when seekers of knowledge come together. And I just came back yesterday from Iran, from Qom. So I'm sorry that I was not there yesterday in the center to welcome you. Uh, although I have not committed myself, but uh, if I was there, I would certainly have come and welcome you. Uh, what we are going to discuss is we are going to have a very quick review of the significance of ethics in Islam and some perhaps major uh, aspects of Islamic ethics. Uh, we have about one and a half hour, I don't know, we would have a break in between? Yes, we're supposed to have, yeah, it's up to you. Okay. If, if you want, if so I will try to divide it into two parts so that okay. we can have a little break in the, bit, uh, the middle. Uh, Alhamdulillah, just a few months ago, we managed to publish this book, Lessons on Islamic Morals. I don't know if you have seen this or not. And if you are interested, then maybe we can try to find some uh, copies. Of course, right now I think there are only a few copies left, but inshallah it's going to be reprinted soon. Uh, this is a course I had for uh, Al-Mustafa Virtual University on Ethics, and then uh, we worked on it and developed it further. We removed some philosophical discussions, so that's kept for other folks. But something about major content of Islamic ethics is here and we use it here in the pre-Hose and Hose program and also in some other places like Hojat Academy in Istanbul. So this is something that maybe if you want to study more in English you can find it useful. Um, some of my books are already in Swedish. I don't know if they are still available or not. Uh, so the center published uh, at least three of them <coughs> discovering Shia Islam, Shia Islam, Islam's face and practices, and self-knowledge. Uh, these three I know that they are relevant Swedish, so uh, if you want some literature in Swedish also, you may find them useful. First, what is the significance of uh, ethics in Islam? I don't think you find any religion that would not put ethics in a very central and prime position. I cannot think of religion without morality, without commitment to a virtuous life. Maybe the difference is how much they put emphasis on this or how they prioritize moral virtues. But you cannot find any religion, especially Abrahamic religions, are very close to each other in this point, that morality is very important. It's a central uh, issue for us. Uh, my PhD was on ethical relativism. And actually that is published by the same college. And it was the first book that Islamic College published in 2001, published this book, Ethical Relativism, an analysis of the foundations of morality. And in my research, uh, 
I came to the conclusion that although it's not necessary for having universal values to have acceptance of all people. It's not necessary for having universal values to have acceptance of all people. In other words, there's no such rational requirement that if there is any universal value, all people should agree on this. We don't have such requirement. There can be a piece of truth and people may still differ. So you should not be surprised if people disagree. And you should not take this agreement of people as a sign of not having universal values. Okay? So there is no problem at all in having no consensus on virtues. But although this is not necessary to have consensus, my research shows that there are fundamental values that indeed all human beings share. Some moral philosophers have mentioned a few examples, and some have even tried to argue for it rationally. For example, love for children. You cannot find any culture, any human race that have no regard, love, care for their children. How they show it might be different. How they express it might be different. But love for children is always there. And some people have actually argued for it. They said, not only you can go and see this by yourself, but we can also argue for it rationally. Because if we didn't have love for our children. We would not have looked after them. Because it's a very difficult thing. It's not an easy thing. It's a very demanding job. You know, they say it takes a whole village to bring up one child. So it's a very demanding job. Especially when they grow up. It become more and more demanding. So, if we didn't have love for our children, we would have abandoned them. We would have left them outside home on the street. And then it means that they were dying. Because as you know, human child is much more dependent on parents than animal children. Yeah, Animal children can quickly <laughs> become independent. But human child, at least for a few years, totally depend on their parents. They cannot survive on their own. And nowadays, this age of dependence on parents is increasing. <laughs> Sometimes people now 20, 30, 40 years, <laughs> still they depend on their parents. But at least physically, you can say, always, in all centuries, there has been few years of fundamental dependence on parents. If parents had not love for their children, they would have left them and they would have died and we were not able to continue. Humanity would have stopped. So the fact that humanity has come along 
with the passage of time shows that we have loved our children. So this is a rational argument, yes. Sorry, uh, just to bring the question uh, to mind. Uh, of course, you, you, when you're talking about this, you, you, you're giving a general uh, uh, statement because obviously, you know, we hear about it. Before the Prophet uh, Muhammad, peace be upon him, came, you know, they were burying their daughters yes. alive. And of course, we do uh, hear about uh, you know, some uh, women leaving their children up, yes, giving their children up for yeah. you know, adoption, things like that. So, but you're talking just in general. Yeah, very good that you mentioned this question. Actually, these questions would not contradict what I said. First of all, the practice of burying their daughters alive was not an eternal practice or, you know, uh, old established practice for Arabs. It had started after a war. There was a war and when the women were taken as captives by the enemies, from that time they developed this concept of you know negativity towards girls, not because they didn't like originally their daughters, but because they thought having girls and women will make you always vulnerable and your enemies can you know take this as advantage as a sign of your weakness so this is not something that always and all you know arabs had in their mind this is one point the second point is that we say this is a virtue but we discuss in more detailed discussions for example in islamic belief system course i have mentioned this very clearly that there is a difference between human beings and animals. Animals go after their instincts. There is no free choice. They go by their instincts. So if animals have instinct, love for their children, they go for it. But human beings may have something as an instinct or something as a virtue, but they can always disregard it because they have freedom. So maybe a mother has love for her child, okay, instinctively, but decides to ignore. It's possible, okay? So when we say something is a value or virtue for all human beings, it doesn't mean that all of them observe it. It means that there is a foundation, there's a basis in human nature, but it can always be ignored. Nowadays, we see, unfortunately, that because people become more uh, you know interested in having instant pleasure and having less commitments now you see there are people who don't love to have children although in their nature they love children but say no why we should have children or maybe we have only one or maybe instead of having children we can have pets which are much easier <laughs> Unfortunately, this is the problem. But this doesn't mean that we don't have something deep in us that is love for children. Otherwise, we would not have survived. If we, little by little, <laughs> make this hesitation for having children more spread and more deeper, our humanity would go into decline. And we will become less and less populate so love for children another thing is 
respect for parents. All human beings have respect for parents. As a virtue, whether they observe it or not, it's something else. But even those who don't observe it, if you ask them, is it good to be respectful to parents? They say yes. And some people have argued for it rationally. They said, if there was no such a thing as respect for parents, if all children or most of children were showing no respect to their parents and started, you know, annoying and hurting their parents, then the next generation of parents would have decided not to have children. And again, you would have stopped. Actually, this is worrying today because the less respectful children are now, parents decide not to have children. <laughs> but so far, this has been a universal value. And God willing, it will carry on because it has roots in our nature. But we are human beings. We have freedom. We can fight against our nature. Yeah? Or truthfulness. Truthfulness is also a universal value. You don't find any person who would say telling truth or truthfulness, which is more comprehensive than telling truth, is not a virtue. Do you know anyone who says, I prefer to be lied? I prefer people don't tell me the truth. Actually, some moral philosophers have brought a very beautiful argument. They said the basis of having language is our universal acceptance of truthfulness. Because language can only work if we are committed to use words for particular meanings truthfully. Yeah? If I say, for example, I am a teacher, and there is no commitment to use these words and this structure when I am a teacher, then what's the point of having language? Even liars can make lies because they know we have value of truthfulness. In a society that there is no commitment for truthfulness, even liars have difficulties. Yeah? If you cannot trust anyone, even liars have difficult life. Liars can have success when people trust. When we believe telling truth is a virtue. Okay? So, if we didn't have this commitment, at least in principle, this virtue, we would not have been developing languages. If people were saying, we can say anything when we use this word, then it's useless to have language. If you say me and you mean he, then it's useless. Or if you mean say cold and you mean, for example, hot, even not in a systematic way. For example, if a systematic lie, again, it's a truth in it. For example, say whenever I say hot, I mean cold. And still it works. Yeah, because we can translate it. But if it is a random lying, which means you are not committing to yourself to the truth, you are not even committing yourself to a particular type of lie. You lie and you lie in lying, we cannot have any language. Okay? So, 
moral virtues in principle are universal. There are differences in expression. I don't know if you have heard this story that in the time of the Iranian king Daryush, you know, we say Daryush in Farsi, not Darius or whatever they call it in, in uh, other languages, the Iranian empire was very, very vast, very huge. So he had in his presence people from India and people from Greece. They had come to his court. Some of them used to ate the dead body of their parents. And some of them used to burn. So two opposite practice from two different cultures under his empire. So he suggests that this famous uh, story, is, I think mentioned by Herodotus, if you take any book on ethical relativism, you find this story there. So he suggests that the people that used to bury, sorry, used to burn their dead parents, what would you do if I offer you lots of money and you stop burning them, you just eat them? They felt awful. They said, how can you eat your dead father or mother? <coughs> we burn them because fire purifies and keeps their body safe. Otherwise, body will be spoiled, will be eaten by animals. Yeah. So we burn them. You know, they bring different arguments for burning. <coughs> so they were very, you know, frightened, felt terrible of even thinking of eating the dead body of their parents. He asked the same question from the people who used to eat. If I offer you lots of money to stop eating and just burn, they say, how can we burn our father or mother? It's awful to burn them. We eat them because we want them to become part of our body and to continue in us. So they were very much attached to their own practice and they felt terrible when they thought of doing something different that the other culture was doing. So some people said this is ethical relativism, but we say no. Actually, if you go deeper, you find both cultures had deep respect for their dead parents. But they wanted to express it in the best way that they could understand based on their ideologies, based on their worldview, based on their you know, cultural values, they had different ways of expressing their love for parents. But none of them wanted to be disrespectful to their dead bodies of parents. You understand? Or for example, you know, when it comes to treating your guests, people may have different ways of showing hospitality. In some places, when you go as a guest, they prepare everything for you. 
they make food, they make your bed, they make everything for you. In some cultures, maybe they ask you to do or leave you to do some of these things. Not because they are not hospitable, but because they want you to feel comfortable. Yeah? In some cultures, if you like the food provided by the host, you have to finish it. Otherwise, they feel bad if you didn't like the food. In some cultures, you have to leave it maybe half the way or at least some of it because otherwise they think that the food was not enough. <laughs> and if you finish, they bring food. <laughs> and you know these things because you travel, you know. So these are differences of our customs, of our cultures, different expressions, but not different moral principles. Okay? So, morality is something you find everywhere, and most of moral virtues are the same, but my understanding is that the difference is mainly in details. For example, when we say modesty, I don't think you find any person, any civilized person, who would say modesty is not good. But what does modesty require? For example, for a Muslim woman or for Eastern women, modesty requires something that maybe for, for example, a non-Muslim Western women, right now in this time, modesty means something different. Maybe for even Western women, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, modesty meant something else. Many of the things that uh, you find, you know, even one culture uh, used to observe, maybe today they don't observe. But this doesn't mean that some people believe in modesty and some people don't believe in modesty. I don't like any person would love to be called immodest person. <laughs> yeah? But how to express it, that's another issue. So, what is important is that morality is shared by all human beings. And we have some, not all, but at least we can say, if you want to be very, you know, uh, moderate in our claim, we can say at least some major values are the same. Now, when it comes to Islam, we find that Islam gives a very central position to morality. You are all familiar with this hadith, this saying of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in which he said, إِنَّمَا بُعِثْتُ لِأُتَمِّمَ مَكَارِمَ الْأَخْلَاقِ I have been only raised for accomplishing noble traits of character. Is innama. Innama in Arabic is adatul hasr, is to show exclusiveness. So he said, the only reason for which I have been raised by God as a prophet, as a messenger, is to accomplish, means this process has already started by previous prophets and messengers, and I have come to take it further, and that is to establish noble traits of character perhaps you are familiar with two 
different terms. One is mahasimul akhla and one is makarimul akhla. <coughs> Does anyone know what's the difference between mahasimul akhla and makarimul akhla? We have good traits of character and we have noble traits of character. Mahasinul akhla, good traits of character, operates at a very basic level. For example, do good to those who have done good to you. Yeah, we have to reciprocate. Yeah, if someone has been kind to me, I have to be kind to him or her. When I was ill, they visited me. Now they are ill, I have to visit them. They have put their trust in me. I should not betray them and I should not deny them my trust. Yeah? These are very important virtues. But makarimul akhlaq goes further. Not only do good to those who have done good to you, you have to do good to those who have done bad to you, those who have wronged you. Give the people that denied you their help when you were in need. They deprived you, you must give them. They didn't observe kinship. They didn't meet you, they didn't visit you, they didn't call you. Now, you should visit them, you should call them. So, Rasulullah says, I have come to accomplish noble traits of character, which is not operating at the level of, you know, reciprocation. It's operating at the level of doing good without expectation and without preconditioning it. You know, please, let us never think that when we do good to someone, we are obliging them we have done a favor to them when you do good to someone you are doing good good to yourself yeah don't expect something from them be thankful to god that you have done something good yeah because some people think doing good means i am losing something i'm losing a positive energy i am giving something to someone now they have to be grateful so that i can take it back <laughs> otherwise little by little i become bankrupt <laughs> this is absolutely wrong Absolutely right. When you do good, you are adding to your light. You are adding to your positive energy. You are growing. And just be grateful to God that you have an opportunity to do good. If we are really insightful, we would be actually more grateful to God that we have opportunities to good do uh, to do good to the people that have wronged us because this is what makes you very rich you know in business sometimes maybe you make 1000 pounds a day sometimes you make 10 pounds for example a day sometimes you make 1 million pound a day there are different days in our moral also business that we do there are different opportunities. If I do good to my parents, it's very, very important, but this is not difficult. How can I fail to do good to my parents? <laughs> you understand? So it's very important, but it's very basic. 
It's just the border of humanity. If I'm not kind to my parents, I am just going lower than humanity. But what gives me a boost is not to be kind to my parents only. What gives me a boost to be kind to my enemies. You understand? So, we have to look for opportunities that we can exercise makarimul akhlaq. We do good to the people who have wronged us. Even without mentioning to them. You know, sometimes, for example, I am in need and people don't help me. Maybe my brother, my cousin, my friend, my neighbor, they don't help me. And I say, may Allah bring the day that you become needy and I will help you. But I keep reminding you, this is bad. Never remind them of the day that they were not kind. Yeah, just be noble and generous without expecting anything. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, I have come only to accomplish noble traits of character. This means that he himself must also have noble traits of character. Because this is not something that you can only talk about it. He didn't say, I have come to teach. If it was a matter of teaching, maybe you can only teach theories. Of course, I believe when it comes to ethics, even teaching theories need your own commitment. Yeah, it's not like, you know, teaching, for example, a language. You may teach a language, but then you don't speak that language. This is, I am just teaching you, but I have abandoned speaking this language. It's possible. I teach you, for example, you know, how to drive, but maybe I always use, you know, public transportation. That's not the problem. But I cannot teach you ethics properly, and I don't practice ethics. This is also my idea about teaching religion. You know, sometimes we have meetings with people who are involved in religious education. And I say, how can we expect people who are not religious to teach religion? You know, they say even an atheist can teach religion. They think, you know, it's a kind of uh, neutral subject. I say no. When someone doesn't believe in religion, he cannot teach religion. Yeah? It's like, for example, a mother who has record of abandoning her children on the street. We ask her to come and teach motherhood. <laughs> Can a mother who has abandoned her children be expected to teach motherhood? A person who has abandoned religion and God, how can he or she teach you know, religion objectively? It's impossible. This is a wrong and false you know, assumption. And I hope all religious teachers, teachers of religious education, would be religious people. They can have different religions, but at least they should believe in God. They should believe in religion. They should believe in the subject that they teach. Not just for making money and perhaps spreading their lack of interest in religion, they teach religion. This doesn't make sense. So when it comes to teaching, teaching ethics is the same. You cannot teach ethics only by sharing theories. You have to practice. But Rasulullah even didn't say, I have come just as a teacher. He said, I have come to accomplish. 
he has come as an example as a role model yeah there's a good example for you in the prophet you have a question yeah i just want to ask that is it when we say that that someone must be practicing religion or ethics before they can is it that because it needs to have hold a place in their heart rather than just a theoretical in their mind uh similarly to how we we know there are many people who have advanced knowledge of islam but they're not muslim as like they're not the theoretical all the all the academic prosperity of islam but they have not found a place in their heart therefore they're not they're humble. so if they're, they're, that, that that ethics and religion is not within their heart then they're not they can't teach it yeah. um, i think that can't actually yes someone else. this is a very good question who can teach a religion for example first of all i was talking about teaching religion in general but suppose, for example, who can teach Christianity, who can teach Islam? Now many universities have come to the conclusion that if you want to teach any religion, bring representative of that religion. Yeah? Because they know what does it mean to say prayer. They know what does it mean to fast. They, mean, they know what Quran means to Muslims. Okay? The same. For example, in Qom, uh, we have an institute and we used to bring, and still, of course, this is functioning, Christian professors to teach Christianity. We used to invite Jewish, you know, professors, or even if we didn't find professors, you know, people who are experts, to Jewish experts to teach. Maybe they were doing business, but they were, you know, Jewish. We prefer to hear from them than from a Muslim professor. Because this gives us a sound and first-hand presentation so if you want someone to teach Islam bring a Muslim professor yes a Muslim who has all the academic qualifications okay but someone who is believing in Islam or at least someone who is open to Islam but not someone who has decided against Islam bring him to teach Islam a person who used to be a Muslim and now says, I am not a Muslim, you, you bring it to teach Islam. The same is with religion. A person who says, I am no longer Christian or Muslim or, you know, a taste. I am a taste, not a person who is taste. And you bring to teach religion. It means he's decided against religion. He's not a person who is open. Even if there is a person who is still doing research, it's okay. But the person who has said, I have come to the conclusion that there is no God, there is no hereafter, there is no such a thing as our responsibility towards God. How can he teach religion? Yes. Sorry, uh, um, I just want to, I guess, expand on what he said yes. and go more into uh, detail or specific here. Yes. Um, let's say, for example, we have uh, a Sunni institution, okay, with, uh, you know, mainly students okay <clears throat> now if we bring a Shia teacher okay I'm just giving an example here uh, if we bring a Shia teacher um, and he tries to teach the Sunni students okay there's obviously going to be differences in, in their uh, belief system uh, so for instance you know Khalifas and all they're gonna believe in that so do, do you feel that I mean don't you feel that there's gonna be like how should I say uh, misguidance from their perspective, from the Sunni perspective, because they're hearing, uh, in their view, a distorted, uh, distorted, uh, how should I say, 
point of view, in, from their perspective. For us, it's not, it's perfect. So don't you feel that? Yeah, it's possible. So don't you feel that they, they uh, should be careful of the teachers that they get, and vice versa, we should be careful of the teachers so, that we get? So people should be given right of deciding who is going to teach them their own religion or their own you know, denomination. We cannot say this person has academic qualification and you have to accept him as your teacher. Whether he is in your religion or against your religion or searching doesn't make difference because he has academic qualification. No, people should have right yeah. that we want someone who not only, yes, you say you don't want to help us with our religious experience. Okay, but at least don't bring someone who confuses our children. And this is why, you know, for example, you know, uh, in many countries, for example, in Iran, you know, we have Sunni seminaries and they are run by Sunni scholars and they are taught by Sunni scholars. It, you know, it's not that, you know, Shia runs sem Sunni seminaries. There's no such thing. Because they should have right to be taught as they believe. If they find in a Shia scholar that there is depth of knowledge and trust and they want to invite him, okay, that's fine, but it should be their choice, okay? Because there are people who have so much knowledge and they are so much open that everyone is happy with them. Maybe they think that I as a Muslim can teach Christian children better because they see that when a person from outside praises Christianity, for example, or praises Sunni Islam, that has more effect. But this is their choice, their selection, and cannot be extended to every person just based on having academic qualifications. Okay, let's have a break and inshallah we continue. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> Alhamdulillah.